Hey everyone, welcome to Games Are Fun, the weekly video game podcast that discusses video game news, stories, and all the biggest topics in the industry. My name is Luke and I am your host. Joining me is my co-host Adam Beagle. Adam, how's it going? <laughs> Sorry, that's me pulling my foot out of my mouth. <laughs> I'm good, man. How are you? I'm, d- I'm doing really good. Uh, for those of you who missed last week's show, uh, Adam, Adam has, a, you know, said one thing last week and now he's going to have some opinions that kind of contradict some of the things he thought. <laughs> so we'll get into that. Uh, today's show, we're going to be talking about Google Stadia launch lineup. Um, it's been released Stadia is coming out next week, and it's a little lackluster to say the least, so we're going to talk about that. A quick story about Sony filing a patent for a cartridge. Again, I always take these patent articles with a grain of salt, but I wanted to talk about it nonetheless. And, of course, Adam and I are going to give our initial impressions of Death Stranding. Notice I said Adam and myself are going to give our initial (laughs) impressions of Death Stranding. So last week, Adam said that uh, he was going to skip it, but he decided to actually pick it up, and he has lots of thoughts about the game, as do I. But we'll save that. I think I might have even said it was an easy pass for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I like. I remember <laughs> specifically. I'm sure you could go back to last week's episode where you're like, "Yeah, this is a definite pass," or you said something like along no. those lines. So mm-hmm. um, we'll give we'll give all our um, impressions of the game so far. Uh, neither Adam or myself have beat the game yet because it's obviously quite long. Adam's a little further than I am in it, but uh, yeah, we're going to just talk about Death Stranding, what we think about it, uh, our experience with it so far. And then, of course, just a reminder that we're going to have a review episode for Death Stranding. So episodes will launch like they do every Tuesday. Uh, This episode's actually going up a little bit later than normal, but We'll have a regular episode next week, week after that. Uh, At some point, we're going to fit in an additional episode of the Death Stranding review. And in that review, we're going to go much more in depth. We're going to talk about the game. We're going to pull things apart, uh, talk about the story, obviously. We're going to leave the last bit of the show to to talk spoilers and talk about story beats and stuff. And yeah, I want to designate a a full episode to talking about that. Um, But obviously with having the weekend to have played it uh, we want to give our initial impressions while they're fresh so that's what this week's episode looks like but before we get to talking about all of that just a reminder that the podcast airs every tuesday on all your major podcast platforms so that's apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify just search for games are fun on whatever podcast service you use and that's it. That's the. That's all I got. So let's let's move into our first story, and that is Google Stadia's launch lineup. So uh, we talked about. I think it was just a couple weeks ago we were talking about because uh, Google made the announcement of their launch date for Stadia, and that was November nineteenth. Well, we now know what games are going to be available on launch day. So this is coming from Matt Wales over at Eurogamer.net. So Google unveils Stadia's full 12-game launch day lineup. So Google's game streaming service Stadia is almost upon us, and ahead of its arrival next Tuesday, November 19th, the company has revealed the full lineup of titles coming to the platform on launch day and beyond. A total of 12 games will be available to purchase and play through Stadia from day one. On a blockbuster front are Red Dead Redemption 2, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Destiny 2, 
Mortal Kombat 11, and Crystal Dynamics' full Tomb Raider reboot trilogy. So that's Tomb Raider, Rise of the Tomb Raider, and Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Joining those titles are uh, Ubisoft's latest limb shaker, Just Dance 2020, acclaimed fighter, Samurai Showdown, jazz-infused indie puzzler, Kine? Kine? Kine. Kine. Rhythm Horror Thumper and Rhyme Developer, Tequila Softworks, Guilt. That's Guilt with a Y. The latter being Stadia's only launch date exclusive, and for those that prefer their information in alphabetical list form, so they just ran through all those games I... Uh, just listed. Uh, beyond those release details, Google has also detailed another 14 games coming to Stadia at some currently unspecified point before 2019 is through. That list is as follows. So we got Attack on Titan 2, Final Battle, uh, Borderlands 3, Darksiders Genesis, Dragon Ball Xenoverse 2, Farming Simulator 19, Final Fantasy 15, Football Manager 2020, Ghost Recon Breakpoint, Grid, Metro Exodus, NBA 2K20, Rage 2, Trials Rising, and Wolfenstein Youngblood. Uh, Google Stadia will launch initially launch in 14 countries, including the UK, US, and Canada, to make use of the service on November 19th. However, players will either need to have pre-ordered the now sold-out Stadia Founders Edition or the um, $129 US dollar Premier Edition, which is still available for purchase and includes a Chromecast Ultra and three months of Stadia Pro. Stadia's free service will launch sometime next year with more Google Stadia games uh where more Google Stadia games will be on the way. So, obviously, we've talked about the, the games that had been announced that were coming to Google Stadia. Now we know which 12 are going to be available on launch day. Adam, what do you make of this list? This is not a strong start for Stadia. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, when you look at the list, I mean, like it said, Guilt is the only launch day exclusive, and all these other games are fairly old Mm -hmm. um so there's really not a ton for like uh you know for uh, early adopters to really be able to you know a lot of people maybe play these games already or you know passed on them because they weren't interested before so it's kind of a tough sell right now like if you if this was coming out for the general audience like it would be tough to uh want to get in on a piece of this Mm mm-hmm yeah, like I I was definitely when I saw it, I was a little disappointed because I was expecting, you know, well, especially when when I read those those that second list there with uh, you know, Borderlands 3 and Final Fantasy 15, even mm-hmm. though those games are older or are already out, like you would that's why you would kind of expect them. You would, like I thought they would pick up, you know, with the fact that they don't necessarily have a bunch of brand new games they might have, okay, well, here's a launch lineup of like 25, 30 really solid games. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, the fact that it's just 12 of, and I, like, I don't want to, like this list that does have some great titles on there, but it, it's just, it, it's you, you we, we lead up to Stadia's launch and people are questioning, okay, when's it coming? When's it coming? We finally get a release date, you know, a couple weeks away. So you know, that's kind of a little, you're starting to get a little worried when that's their marketing strategy. And then also just announcing these games like that a week before the things. It's, it's, it's really weird to me for sure. Yeah. It kind of makes sense now why they were so tight lipped on what yeah. the launch lineup was going to be. Cause if people knew this earlier, there probably would have been people that 
didn't pre-order and totally. even still there might be people that cancel if that's an option yeah um which is unfortunate because i mean the service seems like it's going to be cool that that second list of games the ones that are coming out later this year there is some good stuff on there uh but then the question is are the users going to have to pay for these games on top of buying buying into the service itself mm-hmm. so you know i there's not a lot of games on here that I would be willing to pay the money to buy. Now, if it's part of like their, their um, Stadia pro service or whatever, whatever they call it, then, you know, there's some good stuff in there. I, and I was telling you before, like final fantasy 15, I think would be a great game to, to try out mm-hmm. on Stadia. Um, mostly because I just absolutely freaking love that game. Mm-hmm. And it, finding a reason to play it again like sure, yeah <laughs> um yeah i mean that sounds great uh, it would have been a little bit nicer if it was at launch but you know i might be in the minority of people that are extra like are really would have been really excited to play that on the service mm-hmm. i think when it comes to stadia like clearly with this this launch lineup coming out of the gate they're not going to be winning people over based on exclusives or games or anything like Mm -hmm. that. And I know that um, that's a a big thing for people. That's a lot of reason why people would never, like, stick to, you know, PlayStation and stuff like that is because they have a good track record on Nintendo. But, you know, Stata is obviously trying to sell that that idea of streaming video games. It's not necessarily a, mm-hmm. about what specific games you can play right now. Right. Um, it's just here, here it is. And I think that, you know, as long as everything goes according to how google says it should work you know people i think once the it launches and they see they get their hands hands on it and have that you know booting up a game without having to download it and you know being able to go from your tv to your pixel phone or whatever you know that could if it works really well that could totally people could forget about all that other stuff right i mean when we look at launch day titles in the past you know even this generation of the ps4 and the xbox one you know there's definitely had consoles out there and it's unfair i think to compare stadia because it's so different it's launching it kind of at the tail end of an established generation of consoles but i mean the xbox one i got an xbox one and what game did i get with it i got dead rising 3 which was pretty mediocre (laughs) and i had you know rise forza Mm -hmm. to choose from even like on the ps4 say you had kill zone um maybe that did something for kill but you had knack like it's just like you didn't have god of war horizon or spider-man on the first day it takes a little bit for these things to get themselves established and then you know hopefully those bigger titles make their way onto there yeah, and once once games start getting w- releasing on Stadia day and date with other platforms, like that's where things are really gonna kick up because mm-hmm. then it, you're you're gonna be able to weigh the options of okay, do I want to get this game on PlayStation or Xbox or do I want to get it on Stadia mm-hmm. and be able to play it kind of anywhere? Um, you know, th- then that adds real value there but i think just with the launch lineup it's kind of hard to totally uh it's a little bit of a tough pill to swallow but yeah once once exclusive or once these multi-platform games start coming out day and date like if cyberpunk comes out day and date i don't know if it's going to or not i don't think they've said but if it does like that's a really compelling argument to get the game on stadia versus the other platforms because of the ability to 
play it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like you're not tied to your your console. So yeah, exactly. it's still really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still excited. Like obviously I've said on the show before, I, I have Stadia pre-ordered. I'm hoping that it arrives um, close to launch date because there was, uh, I think we talked about it on the show of just how, I don't know if we talked, maybe we just were texting about that, but the they can't guarantee that it will arrive. They're basically, the founder's edition is being shipped oh, right. out in the order <laughs> that the pre-orders were made. And I didn't pre-order mine until... I don't know, probably a month or two after Stadia launch or was like available for pre-order. So I'm hoping that by next, uh, I guess probably not next week's episode, but the week after that I had, you know, had Stadia. I've been able to check it out, see it firsthand for myself. I think looking at this launch lineup, I was telling Adam, you know, Destiny 2 is great. The fact that I'll be able to play that for free is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I wanted last month to kind of maybe get back into destiny to check it out because it's been a long time since i played it i <laughs> i never got the chance to and i guarantee you that i with star wars and pokemon and test Stranding still <laughs> going on like there's no way i'll i'll jump into it uh, right away so i was thinking of like assassin's creed odyssey but again that's another big open yeah. world game that i don't know so the this guilt game looks interesting uh it kind of looks like a more horror type game which i obviously like horror um, and I would love to just kind of check it out to see uh, that it's an exclusive, um, fact that I could only play it on there. So yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens when it, when I get to try it out for myself and see if it lives up to everything. At the end of the day, I do get a Chromecast ultra out of it. I've talked about <laughs> on the show, the value was there for me that even if Stadia is a throwaway, I get this controller that maybe... 10 years from now, I could sell for, make a profit back on it because it's a founder's edition and I got a Chromecast Ultra out of the deal, right? That's how I kind of justified my pre-order. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, yeah, I really, I have no idea how this will go now. I was more confident, I would say, earlier in the year, but now as we got in closer and seen how their launch is rolling out, it's it's got me a little concerned (laughs) (laughs) but it's nice that you'll be able to get uh some early hands-on with it and and test it out and see how ultimately it's going to run especially with uh the possibility of xbox maybe uh releasing or having a strategy for x cloud Mm -hmm. to a more uh larger group of people now like if they you know release it or they they extend the beta out to more people Um, Because I signed up for the beta, but I didn't get accepted to it. So maybe they'll extend that. And then, you know, you might be able to test them, you know, almost kind of side by side and Mm -hmm. see, uh, compare and see which one's better. So um, that'll be a neat, neat thing to check out. Yeah. The biggest thing that I am hoping to get from it is being able to just see how it is, bring it back, talk about it on the podcast. And maybe that is, it is a viable option for those people who, you know, only play games on the PC or only have a switch or something like that. Right. It, it's easy for us who have all three consoles and we can buy whatever game we want, but there's, I, I guarantee there's listeners out there that only, you know, have, have experienced a small part of the, the market out there for video games. All right, let's move on to our second story. This is from games radar, Alyssa Mer Mercanti, I believe is how you pronounce that. 
so Sony files curious new cartridge patent, but it's probably not for the PS5. So this is just a quick story. I'm not gonna probably talk about it too much, but Sony has registered a patent for a new, potentially PlayStation cartridge, according to Let's Go Digital. The site reports that it was filed at the same Brazilian patent office as the June 2019 patent for the PS5 dev kit, but it's unlikely this cartridge will be for the PS5. The inventor of this curious new product is uh, Eugene, you, oh, I'm terrible <laughs> at Japanese names. Uh, do you got anything for this one? You, Eugene uh, Morisawa. I'm gonna you, go with that. Yeah, yeah, that sounds that sounds good. <laughs> a fifteen, a fifteen year Sony veteran who has designed cosmetics, the Agent Robot, and oh, the PS5 dev kit during his tenure. Uh, the news for this cartridge is emerging in the same fashion as the rumors about the next-gen console spec. Same patent office, same designer, same publication reporting on it. But it's still not feasible to believe Sony would put a cartridge reader in the PS5. They've never used a cartridge for any of their home consoles for starters. The PS5 probably won't play cartridges, but we do have an idea of what it will do. So this is just speculation. Uh, we, we know it'll have a disk drive that even re... Sorry... We know it'll have a disk drive that can read triple layer discs for 8K visuals. It will support 3D audio, lighting fast SSDs, and backwards compatibility. It'll even allow you to install games in chunks so that you don't have to install the multiplayer and campaign in one fell swoop. Uh, however, that still leaves us guessing what this cartridge patent could be for. The patent only includes one photo of a pretty standard looking game cartridge, so we won't get any hints from that. Uh, the PS Vita played cartridges, but Sony has repeatedly expressed disinterest in building a new handheld console, so that seems equally unlikely. Back in 2017, Sony submitted a console patent for what ultimately became the Sony uh, Toyo, Toyo, uh, a kid's <laughs> toy that was produced in Japan, but when the patent was released a year later, speculation ran wild. So the mystery cartridge is likely for a new kid's toy, not for the PS5. Sort of disappoint. Um, so, uh, sorry, the speculation part. I thought they were going to in that first section talk about uh, what they thought it was going to be. What they they said at the bottom there. Uh, okay, so the reason why I wanted to include this mainly is because. Do you ever think that Sony would go back to a cartridge-based system for handheld consoles? Uh, I think it's certainly within within the realm of possibility. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't. I don't know. I find it hard to think that they would they would support it. Um, I feel like you know because they put so much emphasis on their their actual home consoles that you know their handhelds kind of just end up falling by the wayside so mm -hmm. i i find it tough to think that they would go back to handheld but uh it would be kind of interesting to see see if they do i mean if they find um you know a way to to make it work and and be able to compete with say like the switch because i mean that's going to be the the tough thing is trying to keep compete with nintendo for that handheld market mm -hmm. yeah yeah i i it's, it's really hard to say because of you know, what with the PS Vita being what it was and not necessarily living up to what Sony had expected, it's it's hard to recover from that. And especially, like you said, when the, with the Switch being such a big competitor, it'd be so hard for them to get back into that, you know, that market again. Um, especially when, why would I, when, when the Switch is that hybrid console of having both, right? If there was some sort of way that, you know, they could integrate 
the it being part of again i don't know how they would do do that but some somehow i don't know if that's through streaming or remote remote play but again i guess you wouldn't really need cartridges for that but some sort of way to kind of bridge that of of having a sony handheld again um but all meeting that expectation that we could play console level games um just just like the switch could because if it can't match that then what's the point right this the nintendo has set that standard um but who knows maybe like this article says they they come out with something that is targeted maybe to a younger audience or something like that um you know look at the switch light that's a, a handheld only console mm-hmm. and i'm, I'm don't know the numbers specifically, but it looks like that console sold pretty well and is doing doing really well. Um, for someone like me, I obviously want to get one that would work as both, but maybe if I have a kid, maybe I'm looking at for something smaller. So maybe Sony's looking at that. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to throw this in there to for interest's sake, just also just to fill the show a little bit. Yeah, and one one kind of, I guess, final thought I had on that, too, is, I mean, the way that they could, I think, compete with the Switch is if they give this thing enough power to make it feel like a legitimate home console on the go. Like, if this thing could somehow have the power of, say, like a PS4, but, like, handheld, Mm -hmm. I think that would be compelling for a lot of people because... You know, some some people don't like the Switch because, you know, it, it kind of has a cap on, like, the graphics that it can that it can do. I mean, look what happened with The Witcher, mm-hmm. right? Like, it it's so great game. Uh, I hear it ported pretty well, but uh, there is a very significant drop in, in the graphical capacity on it. So, mm-hmm. you know, let's say they come out with something that can compete with the performance and the graphical capability of the PS4 and make it handheld. Mm-hmm. I think that would turn a lot of people on. Cause I mean, look what, when the Vita first came out, you know, that had way more graphical capability than what uh, the 3DS had, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that was, um, that was something a lot of people were into, but mm-hmm. it just didn't get the support that Sony could have given it. And it just, you know, eventually died out and just mostly became a, uh, you know, a third party machine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I I remember when I was a kid before, you know, even DS came out, uh, and, and kind of improved that mobile or sorry, not well, handheld gaming market. I just remember having my game boy color, game boy advance, and then playing games on my PlayStation two and thinking like, how awesome would it be to be able to take what I'm playing on my TV with my PlayStation 2 and put it onto my Game Boy and have that same experience. Like, maybe even if I inserted some sort of, like, I took my memory card out of my PS2 and was able to plug it into my, and it just transferred a game in some sort of way. Like, I don't know if that's something that was feasible from a technological perspective, but that would be cool if I had my PS5 console and I just had something that, again... I think this would only work the the big sell with this because there's always that argument. Well, why don't you just stream it from your console onto there? But you need the internet to do that. So if there mm-hmm. was yeah. this is a, another mm-hmm. option. It's like okay, I have God of War two. I'm playing on my PS five, and then I own this game. I could take this cartridge and put it into this handheld and be able to just continue that experience on. I don't know. You know, it's funny because Nintendo's actually been doing this for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, the earliest thing I, I remember of this sort of kind of uh, taking your portable experience onto like your home console would be 
back on like the Super Nintendo, uh, there was uh, like kind of like a cartridge you would insert yep. into the Super Nintendo. It might have been called Super Game Boy. That's maybe. exactly what it was called. Yeah, I was just about to say. <laughs> yeah, and you plug in your Game Boy game into it, and boom, it's on your TV. Like mm-hmm. that was awesome. And you could even give like color palettes to it. So even if it wasn't like a Game Boy color game, you could sort of kind of artificially give it kind of a different color scheme. Yeah. Like you wouldn't get multiple colors. Like it's still kind of just like a like a two color system, but it mm-hmm. was you know, different from that just classic, like that green and black sort of screen that yeah. the, the Game Boy was. So I, that was really cool. I, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, I remember I didn't have, a, I never had a SNES, but I did have the Nintendo 64. So with the Pokemon games, like having yeah. Pokemon Stadium, yep. you could put your pack Dude, in that there. was awesome. Like, yeah, it was great. <laughs> I actually, uh, probably like three or four years ago, I, I was watching this uh, streamer who was trying to catch these shinies and um, one of the functions you could use on Pokemon Stadium, if you put your like Pokemon Yellow in in the pack and everything, is you could speed up the game really really fast. So he used that to um, quickly because he was tr- he was shiny hunting, right? So he mm-hmm. that he would try to catch the Pokemon with not shiny. Okay, reset, and it would just speed up the process and stuff. So there, yeah, the color palettes, those things, those that was that was really cool. I remember it just being blown away man, I'm playing my Game Boy on my TV. Like, that was yep. that was something else <laughs> back then. <laughs> All right, now let's move in to the big topic, and that is Death Stranding. So uh, I pre-ordered the game. I unfortunately wasn't able to get it until Friday, the game, the day it came out. I pre-ordered the Steelbook Edition just because I, I kind of like having um, physical copies of, like, those games that I really, really hope well i didn't know in this case but games that i know that i'm probably going to like and stuff like that just to kind of have some sort of thing i'm like if i'm going to do that i'm going to get the steel book and so leading up to that i was hoping i was going to be able to get on thursday so you and i were talking a bunch and you put out the idea that you know what i i am gonna i think i want to check out death Stranding and pick it up myself so you were actually able to go and get it thursday night mm-hmm so where, when did the, the change in mind come where you decided, I want to try out Death Stranding? It happened uh, sometime on Thursday uh, before, you know, the actual release. And I was listening to, you know, just kind of thinking back on the reviews and stuff. And I just beaten Luigi's Mansion and mm-hmm. kind of wanting to, to play something new. And... Um, I was then listening to uh, the podcast for Giant Bomb. Mm-hmm. And I, as I was listening to them talk about the game, just kind of like their early impressions and stuff. And this was after I had made up my mind I wasn't going to get it. So I didn't really care about spoilers. Not that they gave out any spoilers, but um, they were mostly just kind of talking about like their own like candid experiences that they had in the world of Death Stranding. And it kind of, it it sounded like, experience kind of like experiences that people had playing breath of the wild where there was this big open world and you could kind of do things differently than the next person to you like you kind of have your own stories to tell and you know then kind of going back to greg miller's tweet where he said you know he loved it because it was very zen like for him Mm -hmm. and and so i it, it was i had all these thoughts swirling in my head all these different opinions and reviews and everything and um i'm like you know what? I have to, I have to try it for myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, 
you know what? I'm just I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna bite the bullet and because it, it was a weird weird way that this game kind of hit me because when the E3 trailer came out, you know, several what four or five years ago, 2016, yeah, yeah, and it did nothing for me. Didn't mm. move the needle at all. Uh, you know, next couple E3s or whatever, they had some more trailers and stuff. Still nothing. Needle was firmly planted at zero. Um, and then this year came around and they actually started showing some more information, some trailers, some story bits. And, and then I started getting interested mm-hmm. and it wasn't, I was very much on the fence and it wasn't until the reviews hit and I'm like, okay, I need something to kind of tip me one way or the other. And, and the reviews were, were so divisive and, uh, and I, I guess maybe it was IGN's review mostly that that kind of struck me and just they did a great job at making this game sound bland as hell. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that's kind of what did it. And then I was, you know, anything I kind of took that. And of course, there were a lot of people echoing that on Twitter and, and online and stuff. Yeah. And uh, a lot of there were a lot of major companies you know, reviewers saying that they didn't really care for the game. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, on the other hand, the, the spectrum, there were a few out there that were, you know, nines, tens. And then, of course, uh, immediately my first thought was, okay, that, well, they have the Kojima bias. Right. So they're probably inflating their score a little bit. And so I'm like, okay, there's, it's all over the place. And clearly this is something that I just need to play to understand if I'm going to actually like it or not. So I, I did the, my local GameStop did a nine o'clock release. I went out, picked it up and, uh, really liked it. Uh, it's, it started off on a kind of a, a solid point. You know, there's a lot of story, not that it really tells you much because this game excels at, at making itself, itself more mysterious than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was a lot of lore right off the bat. And uh, some great cutscenes, great acting. And then you get into the gameplay to kind of complement that. And the first mission they send you on just really kind of hooked me. Like, I'm like, wow, that was really neat. Mm-hmm. And even as you first, like, as you set out on kind of like that first main mission and the camera pans out. And it was kind of like a Breath of the Wild moment when you step yeah. out of the cave on the plateau. The music kicks on a little bit. You hear the, the one of the uh, the songs come up from the, the soundtrack and... I'm like, okay, this is this is interesting. So yeah, I've been kind of hooked on it since. Yeah, yeah. That I I'm I was saying to to Adam before the show that I I think it's awesome. Like there there's nothing better than being really skeptical about a game or being on a fence and like I don't really know, and then taking the chance, to try it out for yourself, and then being being surprised is great, right? Like obviously, if you didn't like it, that kind of sucks because then you're like. It, it may prevent you from doing something like that again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's why, you know, I'm always an advocate to people. It's like, don't, don't, we talked about this on the show last week with talking about review scores. We were talking about the Death Stranding review scores and how the game was very divisive. We had scores across the board, but it's like, you know, I don't, I can't say if you'll like it. I don't, I haven't played the game yet, but, you know, if, if th- there's enough there for you to kind of think about, the conversation going around it and just being interested in that, I think that's enough for you to kind of go out for yourself, try it out and see if you like it. But of course, you know, not everybody can do that. I, I understand there's like financial barriers there. No one can just go and 
drop cash on every single release that comes out. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really, I was ecstatic to, to see that you, uh, just went and got it. I, even if you <laughs> came and said, and we had completely contrasting opinions or I really liked it and you didn't, or maybe on the vice versa, you liked it and I didn't, I was still really happy to see, you know, that you were giving it a chance so that we could both talk about it. Um, yeah, the game, I'll, I'll say right out, uh, I really like it. I was, you know, I know I need to start off by saying, because I've talked about this game on the show basically ever since the first episode of, of the podcast. My first episode was um, what I thought was going to, my E3 2018 predictions. And I was, I brought up Death Stranding and talked about how I was excited for this game. I had no idea what it was about, but just that it looked like something different, that something that wasn't like anything else out there. And Death Stranding is actually a big reason, of course, alongside God of War, Spider-Man, Uncharted, that wanted me to get a PlayStation 4. Because I only got a PS4 uh, in 2017, right? So... Uh, it was a big, big push for, for me getting that console. And so when the day finally came, it was almost surreal, right? Like I, 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 I holding the copy in my hand and even after <laughs> hearing the weeks worth of people talking about the game, both negatively and positively, I'm just like, I'm going into this game and I'm just going to experience it for myself. I'm, I'm going to try to go in, not, not be too excited, overhyped and, and let my, you know, force myself to know you like this. This is what you've been waiting for. Enjoy this. You, you've been waiting about You've been talking about how excited you, you have to be excited for this game. And I, I really made sure that I, I came in with a neutral mindset and yeah, after giving the game, I'm in the same boat. I really like it. The game starts off with that, that first initial moments, like it, it people are talking about the game, not, picking up for the first 10 hours and well that might be true from a story perspective and uh gameplay to some degree you know that that first moments yeah that first mission you set out or just even seeing the world you've seen again this is a spoiler because this is in the trailers but seeing that first scene of norman riding on his like trike and the crows are flying and and seeing the rain coming down and you know stuff that we had seen from trailers before but just experiencing that and and seeing the Death Stranding logo come on the screen, like those were all really, really cool moments um, that I really liked. Uh, yeah, the game you talked about, they get, there's some heavy cutscenes at the beginning. Um, I, I put, I was joking to Adam that I, I played like at least three or four hours of it, but I would say I watched a majority of that because the, the game is, it's a Kojima game, it is heavy on the cutscenes, but once you get into the world and the gameplay, well, why don't we transition to that? So, let, Adam, what, let's talk about the, the gameplay loop. Um, maybe you can kind of give an overview of what you're doing in, in Death Stranding and what you how you feel about doing those things. Yeah, and it's a tough thing to describe, too, because, I mean, the, the first thing that really comes to mind is just that you are a postman. You're going around, or a UPS man, you're oh, just totally, going around yeah. making deliveries to different outposts, and it doesn't sound fun, the, but the it, jokes, it really is. The jokes of, like, when that trailer popped up of Norman Reedus hauling all the, the gear on his back and people choking that it was, like, a FedEx simulator, like... <laughs> that those are that that those memes that spawned from that that is the game like there there's no <laughs> brushing around you are delivering packages like 
that that's the game. Like that's your objective. So, anyways. but they make it fun because they do. I mean the world the world is beautiful. It I, it just looks so good. There's so many things to consider, like keeping your balance, keeping track of the weights so that you you don't have trouble traversing terrain because there's a lot of very uneven terrain. Um, you know, water you have to walk through and uh, wind is blowing. So there's so many things that you have to consider as you move around, like what you're going to take with you, what's uh, how you arrange things in your pack. And um, so there's there's kind of like a strategic element to how you're going to go about your your questing or your your delivering. Mm-hmm. To, to start off, I guess what I want to make clear is for those people that maybe have not seen trailers, have not read reviews, don't necessarily know Again, they're, they're those people that just have heard tidbits here and there of Death Stranding being a walking simulator and all that. Here's a little bit of backstory of the plot to the game, I guess. Again, um, I'm still not through it. There's, I still have a lot of questions. The biggest thing is, like any Kojima game, this game is littered with terms and words that are <laughs> made up and have their own meaning. You almost need like an encyclopedia of different things. Like you're, you're throwing things like... Um, time fall and all the all these things the BTs BBs uh, void outs like they're the there's beaches beaches the death stranding um, you know there's all these terms that I could say out loud and you're like well what does that mean and so <laughs> there's some of those things that I have a pretty good understanding understanding of what they are and what they do but then there's also other things that I I'm not 100% clear on. So if there's any, if you ever have, like, again, take, take, take that in mind when you hear us talking about the game. But basically, Death Stranding at its base is, you know, this is a, po- a post-apocalyptic game. Uh, you're in the United States, but it doesn't look anything like the United States. You can, it's, it's definitely a far future. Mm. Um, and based on, uh, so again, I, what I'm a little unclear, maybe you can shed some light on this, is how they... The, this death stranding like what was the cause for all this to happen what do you know that yet so i don't think i don't think they've outright said it yet um but basically the death stranding and and this is actually um i, I know you said it's far future but i think it's actually only just a few decades after the death stranding so the death stranding okay. was basically an event that sort of reshaped the United States, the the landscape and everything was totally changed. It wiped a lot of stuff out, and um, and then it also kind of created a sort of it it. How do I want to say it? It kind of dissipated a little bit the boundaries between the living and the dead, mm-hmm. and um, so sometime after the Death Stranding occurred. There was a group of, I guess, uh, a, a group of settlers, I guess you want to call it, yeah. that, that were trying to rebuild America. Yeah. They went out across the, the United States and made kind of new cities and new outposts. And But the problem is, is that there was supposed to be a second wave of settlers to come kind of group kind of group things together and make sure everything was connected make sure that everyone could communicate with each other across the united states um but that wave never came it never happened mm-hmm. so now you're essentially one man tasked with the job of going out and doing what this second wave was supposed to do right. uh by connecting these 
these new cities and these new colonies together. Um, so it's all the while you're delivering packages. Yeah, you're you're delivering the packages to these outposts or distribution centers that it, were were set up from the the first bridges crew. Um, but and you're all in addition to giving them supplies and yeah, you're reconnecting them up to this chiral network that basically allows them to bridges this group to to give them resources, uh, things like the chiral printer where they can print themselves out, you know, materials and things that they need to do whatever it is they do, right? Some of these groups are, you know, you have engineers or you have farmers or you have um, doctors, like there's all kind of different kinds of people that you're kind of going out to. There's, they're not just all just normal civilians. There's all these different peoples and di- different professions and stuff. Um, yeah. Um, so with that, there's also, uh, this separatist group that is against, um, bridges and they are basically kind of, they're like a terrorist group and they, I guess, well, there's, there's more than, than that. And there's also fragile. There's, there's lots of different subgroups, I guess, within this game. Um, you know, with any big organization that's trying to push something, you're going to have backlash from certain things. Uh, obviously some to more extreme levels and stuff. Uh, the, these, this terrorist group that's led by the, the guy with the golden mask, his, his character's name is Higgs, played by Troy Baker. He, they, he uses the, the power of the dead um, and the BTs to kind of stop them and to, to create terror and everything like that, which is kind of a whole nother element to the game, I would say. Um, that whole storyline, and then you kind of get connected into this other group called Fragile, who Fragile Express, that is doing something similar, um, but they... Again, they have a long history because you're you're not coming into the game right at the beginning of the story, right? As you you can kind of put together with what we're saying is stuff has already happened, and you are now being brought into the the middle where things are basically there's a lot at stake in, in terms of of the country and, and uh, yeah everything that Bridges is setting out to do. So yeah, the the game. You're obviously dealing with uh, some of that stuff. You have you uh, the the biggest thing that I wanted to talk about. The biggest thing that I really like about the game is just going and delivering the cargo because that is the main gameplay. And it's also there. It it's it, it, as boring as it may sound when when we're talking about delivering packages on foot. You know, it's definitely not just a walking simulator. There's so much going on in Death Stranding with the BTs and the story and everything that I think there's enough there that it's not just that, um, but it is the main thing that you were actually doing. It's the biggest gameplay mechanic of it. But the biggest thing that take away from it is it's like you said, some people are saying it's almost therapeutic, right? Figuring out, you know, what car how however much cargo you can carry on your back plotting out your routes to the next destination you know encountering bts which are those ghost-like figures um of the dead that you are trying to avoid um your little bb that you have connected is actually what helps you detect those bts um you deal with you know mules that are like rogue 
porters, people that used to deliver cargo that have kind of gone rogue now and aren't associated to bridges that are trying to take your cargo. And so they're, and then the biggest thing is just trying to figure out how to get over the terrain. Like it's, it's more of a terrain simulator than anything. Like this <laughs> game is like, it's, so it's on the Decima engine. It looks incredible. Decima yes. engine, of course, uh, developed by Guerrilla Games who did Horizon Zero Dawn, Killzone series. Uh, the game looks fantastic from cutscenes so to just the gameplay. Yeah, like it looks amazing, though, these worlds. And then with me saying it's terrain similar, like you, we see a lot in the trailers of like the green and kind of rocky mountains and stuff, but there is a lot more of the game of the map that isn't like that there's some more like there's one section that almost feels like you're on mars because it's like super <laughs> black rocky and kind of yeah. red sand and um yeah what, what did you think of of the terrain and having to you know figure out how to get around it using ladders that kind of stuff yeah, I actually really like that because, I mean, you're you're using a, a wide array of things to get around. So, I mean, you have your basic kind of like ladders and your uh, ropes to kind of get around, uh, you know, chasms or to help you climb up uh, steep rock faces. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, things get a little bit more um, a little bit more intricate where you can create bridges to get over larger gaps or, you know, you can build roads and there's there's other structures you can build you can um you know you can build rain shelters and there's just there's so much you can do and and your options change you, you know with the roads you know you can drive vehicles on them you can take them off road too but you know then you really have to work against the terrain mm-hmm. sometimes it, it's hard for the vehicles to get over the the hard terrain and um it, it's really interesting the the way that they did that to kind of blend you know these different movement to make you use these different movement options uh throughout the game so i thought that was really cool yeah it it's 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 awesome how the map even in areas that might look similar maybe have a similar color palette how like the the actual environment feels super unique and original like every little rock was placed there specifically or something it's it, it gets really cool when you come across uh, an obstacle, maybe it's like a, a mountain or a steep hill you have to go down um, and you're just trying to figure out the best way and you can kind of see how the map is designed in a way that kind of like, oh, this, it, it almost is like, here's some other paths that might be an easier way of taking it. You know what I mean? I always encounter certain ways that's like, it's almost like this path was put here for a reason. Um, and what's crazy is because the map is so big there's so many different areas that's why that's so amazing to me right is like in a linear narrative game like uncharted it's like okay obviously this is <laughs> like basically been flushed out for me to go this way but mm-hmm. when you're in an open world where a lot of the times you know besides the big AAA open world games that get it right you know sometimes open world games just seem like it's just a big environment with copy and paste you know textures and and fixtures for for the world whereas this one it's like it just it feels like a real living space like and it's crazy because it's so bare and um you're you're the ones that are building these things these bridges and ladders and roads on there um but it, it just it feels so like real um the closest 
real world and, and i would say like in this generation like horizon zero dawn probably was the next is another game that does a, a really it just it, it really just proves how awesome that engine is at creating yeah. big expensive oh, yeah. worlds so um yeah and and then i mean along with that so you have these things that you can put down to help yourself move around but then like kind of the main hook to this game is the social experience mm-hmm. too where it's not just your ladders and ropes that you're using to get around as you connect these different distribution centers way stations you know what have you um you know cities as you connect to those you get access to things that other people have put in the world so either you know someone else in may have put a bridge down that now can help you get to where you need to go or you know, you're you're struggling to get through an area and you take a, you know, you, you do a quick scan or whatever and you see that someone left a ladder and it's like, that's a great place for a mm-hmm. ladder. Yeah. Um, so it's really neat the way that as you kind of um, expand these connections to these in-game areas, it's also expanding connections to other players mm-hmm. um, that have kind of come through and sort of uh, helped pioneer that, those areas that you're traversing through. And it's it's really cool the way that works because it it, it kind of gives you a little bit of an incentive too because it's like social media everything that gets placed people can go and they can like it mm-hmm. so if i put a ladder down in a really um in a really great spot to to traverse up like a like a rock face or something like that or i put a rope down or a bridge to get past a really tricky terrain spot um people that use it can come around they can you know they can like it mm-hmm. and you know that kind of it's kind of an arbitrary in-game point system. Uh, it doesn't really do a ton, but at the same time, like you know, neither do likes on Facebook. That doesn't do right. anything for you, but it's still you like to get it. So exactly, yeah. Um, it, it's really neat how that works, and um, you know, and the world is just littered with stuff that everybody's been putting down, and and it's not just structures and bridges and ladders or whatever there's signs too that people can put down and you know it's kind of like warnings for certain things or like a hey you're you're doing great keep up the good work sort of thing yeah and it's it's so cool seeing like those things and where they've been put like like you're saying when you maybe encounter a really tough area or you just um did a boss fight right and the you see those those good job it's like everybody know yeah. went through that same boss fight and maybe yep. you had an easy experience maybe someone else didn't but just seeing like somebody else acknowledge like hey like we i we've all done because like we all know that that's going on in single player games um and that's why it's so cool because it, it's it is taking like this single player concept where you're in this world by yourself but you're like connected to so many other people at the same time right um it, it is really cool i love coming across something that it's like, man, I really need, could use a time fall shelter. I don't have any container repair yeah. spray. My cargo is really, sorry, time fall. Basically for those who don't <laughs> know that when the rain in the game, again, I don't really know why it has something to do with the, the chiral, um, stuff in the air. I don't, I don't really understand it, but basically the weather change from the death stranding and stuff and the rain exceeds when it hits it basically fast forward time so time moves really really fast so you can't go stand in the rain because it would basically make you age really really quickly um it makes like the plants you see plants growing and dying instantly and that kind of stuff so uh it also wears on your cargo that you're carrying and you need to uh, obviously keep your cargo in good condition so that you 
uh, get rewarded properly. Again, it's not like that big of a deal if you deliver bad cargo, but there's certain missions. It's like you need at least 50% cargo condition um, and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, when you when the rain starts coming, uh, you can't really protect your cargo. And so like, there'll be times where I'm coming, it's like, man, I need, and then you see uh, a timefall shelter where it will just repair all your cargo. And it's like someone put that there because they were going through the same thing I was. Yeah. And they thought, <laughs> you know, it's the same with generators when it's like my vehicle's low oh, on yeah, something the and the generator popped up. It's like, yeah, it's just, it's just cool seeing those little moments of like, I, I'm stuck, I'm in trouble, and somebody else was also kind of in trouble, but they were luckily had the resources, and now they're helping out all those people who maybe didn't have those resources with them at the time. So, yeah, it's really creating this, like, positive, you know, uh, perspective of just you're essentially going out there with a bunch of people and rebuilding America. Um, and obviously the social commentary on that is – is really interesting and could be a whole another conversation in itself. But yeah, I, I think it's, that is the coolest part of the game. Hands down is just the, the online functionality of it all. I really don't know how, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say with, without that, I think there is a very real chance that the gameplay would have been boring, Mm -hmm. but just by having that in there and kind of getting that help from other people, just from things that, you know, they were just playing the game, but now it's here helping you. Absolutely. Like that really helps um, kind of liven things up. And it does make the world feel like it's it's kind of living and, and, and being occupied and mm-hmm. stuff. So it's really, really neat. It is, it is really like uh, I remember when you get to the point in the game where roads can start you you basically learn how you can build roads and stuff Mm -hmm. and i remember going on a couple cargo deliveries and then coming back to a section and seeing a whole whack of roads being built out of you're (laughs) you're one of those guys that are are a road builder you were saying i'm i'm building the roads (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it's so cool because now it's like man i have all these roads and i have an easy way like there's uh lake knot city which is one of the major kind of distribution centers that you come across and you're going in and out of there quite a bit and there's a couple territories run by mules these people that try to steal your cargo right outside that city and i remember just being a pain going back and forth in there and then i eventually came back to a point where it was just man people had built like roads all over the place and i was like (laughs) man now i can get on my trike i can ride in and Mm -hmm. out of there with like you know minimal detection of these these enemies and it makes it really really yeah like you're the other people that are putting things in the game really help you and it's not to the point i was a little where i really don't know how it all works like the the tech behind it um like obviously you have servers and stuff and what shows up in your game is not necessarily going to show up in my game um but I don't necessarily know how it like, cause it's not like there's stuff littered all across the map. Right. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing seems excessive where it's like, okay, there's a bridge and then five feet down, there's another bridge and then there's another bridge. Right. Like it, it it's definitely like everything is um, a good number amount. Um, there's never too many things and there's a, a never too little. I think as you mm-hmm. kind of connect more things, it seems like there's more, I guess it's more just because you're opening up new areas of the map and connecting them to this chiral network. Uh, yeah, and as you're going through an area that's not connected to that chiral network, um, 
you don't see things from right. other people. Yes. So it's not going to help you as you initially progress through a new area. You only see those those uh, different items and structures after you've got it connected. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of opens up things. So it's not just like making the game ridiculously easy by giving you all these yeah. like free traversal things exactly. to, to start. You do have to get through it first. Yeah. yeah. So... I think what we'll do, I, I don't know if you have anything in mind. I have one, I wanted to, well, I guess we'll just leave, the, we'll end off our impressions here. Because like I said, we're going to have a whole episode um, devoted to talking about it, um, more of the story beats. We're actually going to also have Garrett Neely, who's a listener of the show, come on. He's going to give his review. So we'll have th- at least three people uh, giving a discussion around it and talking more about that story stuff. Um, so let's leave more, I guess we'll, we'll shelve the conversation there. Um, I did one last thing sure. I would like to say, cause I kind of teased it on Twitter <clears throat> is <laughs> a not likely game. You know, there's, there's certain easy comparisons you could make to other games with this, but yeah. one that I think most people probably wouldn't connect it with is that, um, I get a pretty, um, I get a a sense of Final Fantasy 15 in this game. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just the the world it kind of feels kind of like Final Fantasy 15 did and um yeah, that's a good point know, actually now that I'm thinking yeah, about it. Yeah. The when you look at when I when I open the map, I kind of feel like I'm looking at Final Fantasy 15's yeah. map. Yeah. Um being in the menus kind of just for whatever reason feels a little bit like Final Fantasy 15. Um there's some other comparisons I, I can kind of make too, but I'll maybe save that for sure. uh, the review. <laughs> but um, I mean, then of course, another easy comparison one could make would be uh, Breath of the Wild, Legend of Zelda Breath of the yeah, Wild yeah. Um, for, for key things. Both games will make you absolutely hate rain. Yes. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and then of course, the, the, the big open world thing too mm-hmm. is... Um, you know, kind of a comparison, but yeah, I was, I was really getting, I was sitting down playing and I'm like, wow, like this game kind of makes me want to go play final Final fantasy Fantasy 15 15. because there were some just real, like both aesthetic and, um, sort of like menu, like, uh, comparisons Mm -hmm. that, that were kind of catching my eye between the two games. And, um, so yeah, I I thought I would uh, follow up on that since I sort of teased it a little bit on Twitter, but yeah, it does, does have a a little bit of similarity to it. There's some more too, like I said, I can go into Mm -hmm. later, but, um, that, that kind of gave me some 15 vibes, but I was wondering when I saw that tweet, I was wondering, I'm like, what game could it be? Like, I was thinking of the obvious ones of like, just comparing it to other open world games or just like, oh yeah, this is, you can see like inspirations from like from metal gear the metal gear series or whatever but that that's a really good now that i think about it someone who's put like 35 40 i had never beat final fantasy 15 but i put a good chunk of time into the game and that's a really solid point there is like this world that really big and open but not necessarily you know it's not like gta 5 where there's people and buildings walk everywhere you walk right yeah yeah so like when you go through in the world in final fantasy 15 like there's it doesn't feel especially lived in Mm -hmm. um but it is it looks really pretty like um the the areas look great feels very it does feel very open yeah there's kind of a lot of things that that you can do within that world and um 
Yeah, and again, even just the way things look, it just there were definitely some areas where I'm like, wow, this kind of feels like Final Fantasy 15, and um, yeah, yeah. So it was that's awesome. Yeah, like I said, a, a lot of people probably won't draw that comparison, mm-hmm. or but I feel like maybe there was some inspiration yeah. taken from that, or certainly feels that way anyway. Yeah. Nice. So, like I said, we'll we'll continue the conversation around this. We obviously with the, you know. Adam and I, like, do you know how, so you're at chapter, what did you say? I'm on chapter eight. Um, right. Out of so 12. I'm hoping maybe I can get it done this week before Star, Star Wars. Wars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It's, it's hard to say because, yeah, the chapters are like, chapter four was like a very, like, well, even the first, you have your prologue mm-hmm. and then you get into chapter one. Chapter one, two, well, Two maybe two not. was huge. Yeah, two. Was, I think two that was might be the biggest chapter. Um, three, three for was, me was big because uh, I spent a little more time. I think. Uh, yeah, doing three more cargo definitely runs, opens things up. Yeah, so that's that's the chapter where you're probably most likely going to get distracted by so many things. I, hell, I did too with my my road building. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, yeah, three was definitely pretty pretty big. But four, four was really short. Four short. It's definitely more isolated um, and specific to the story. So it makes me think that there's lots of that. There's twelve chapters, but out of the twelve, there's going to be some that are like three that are bigger, spending more time in than some chapters that are just you know for the story and like I said, more isolated from everything else that you're doing in the game. So. It's uh, it's interesting that they now that I'm I'm on chapter five, and the review, uh, was in like even the reviews that were after the embargo was lifted, people could only talk about, uh, up up to chapter three basically. So they could talk about mm-hmm. chapter three, but past that they couldn't go. Now there is like the game changes. I think past that point, um, in a certain way, like there's something that happens that is very different from the first three chapters but it's uh yeah it's interesting that like so there's so i like i don't know how much like because you've definitely experienced a little bit more than i but like do you have any thoughts around the fact that people were only allowed to talk about just a small chunk of the game like have you seen more now that you're like man i wish they were allowed to talk about it, or i'm glad they didn't (laughs) Uh, I'm kind of glad they didn't because after chapter three, you do start getting into some additional spoiler territory. Yeah. Um, so it's probably good that they left it there. Or yeah. they could have just said, hey, don't don't talk about sure. this specific event. Yeah. But um, I mean, to, to be honest, the, the gameplay loop does change a little bit after chapter three, but not enough to where it's like, you know, to specifically say, okay, we'll skip this part, yeah. but you can talk about what's after that. Like there wasn't, there's not, at least so far for me, there's not a, too much extra. There is some, some pretty interesting things that I've come across that maybe again was better left not said, but mm-hmm. uh, I mean, the majority of, as for what the game is like gameplay and uh, you know, plenty of footage can be captured out of those first three chapters to give people a sense of what the game is. So I think it was probably a good, good move to keep it there. Um, You know, but, but of course now, obviously like 
people have beaten the game. You know, you have a lot of streamers been streaming it. So, you know, any of that information is just kind of out in the open yeah, now. Yeah. But, um, okay. but yeah, I think just to there's certain things even just I don't want to say gameplay wise because the gameplay does stay largely the same, but uh, certain areas and stuff that you get into is probably good that it wasn't shown because mm-hmm. um, I think it was really cool kind of getting into that like blind. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I I'm just I I can't wait to I, the one thing that has done which uh, Outer Worlds did as well is just like want, when I'm not playing it, wanting to get back in there and play it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Even after I want to play it right now. <laughs> yeah, like I will definitely get back on it. Like I, I have the Mandalorian to watch tonight, which I'm really yeah. excited for. Definitely got to watch that. Yeah. Um, but you can bet that I'm again. I still have a couple, couple more days off that I'll be able to fill with some gameplay. So, um, now I did. Come, I was doing a little bit of scrolling um, on one of our stories. Before we get into question of the week and end off the show, I found this article. Now it's from t3.com. I'm not familiar with this site, um, but there it's kind of more to that story about our PS5 cartridge. And so they kind of talk a little bit more about um, a companion console and how it could work. So I just want to read this because we were talking about it on the show. I don't want to wait for another week. Again, we don't have to have too much discussion. I just want to read it out and then we'll we'll end off the show. So uh, PS5 update. Again, sorry, this is from T3.com. Uh, do we have a... Matt Evans. Um, do you want me to send this to you, Adam, right now? Um, I mean, if you just want to read it, that's sure. fine. Okay. okay. I just want to double check. So, uh, PS5 update, fresh Sony PlayStation leak hints at a new PSP 5G companion console. A new patent shows Sony is working on an old school hardware format. So the rumor mill may be buzzing with news of the forthcoming PS5 and all the amazing games sure to accompany it, but it's not the only gaming project Sony is reportedly working on. A new leak reveals Sony Interactive Entertainment has filed a patent for a new yet familiar looking hardware format, a games cartridge, um, which we talked about, uh, you know, let's go digital, leak shows at the Brazilian patent office, uh, yada, 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 we talked about that, um, and they talked about it being a cartridge that looks like a successor possibly to the PS Vita. Again, more speculation on that. Uh, the PS Vita, which improved on the PSP's design with two analog sticks and an OLED screen, used small physical cartridges, but production on the console ended earlier this year with no successor announced, leading many to believe Sony is taking its handheld in a new direction, giving real weight to those rumors of a 5G PSP reported oh never mind <laughs> now i'm looking at this story i'm reading at it saying that this that 5g psp was reported by t3 last year so basically the speculation of this concert or article is it's kind of talking a little bit what we were talking about is just having like a companion console to the ps5 and how it could basically so it's 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 there's rumor and speculation to a little bit more of what we are talking about of having a console that is kind of connected to our home console in a sort of way. So, uh, anyways, I just wanted to saw that because I saw that scrolling uh, on the from the other article, and I forgot I should have seen it before I put it in the show. But anyways, in case anyone was interested in that, I wanted to include it. So that would be cool. I I'd totally be down with like 
a console that would somehow like bridge the gap of home to portable in some sort of way yeah it's nice in theory but i'm a little concerned as to how much something like that would cost yeah right from what i understand 5g tech is still pretty expensive right now so i it, it almost sounds like this companion console with that sort of tech in there could potentially be as expensive as a PS5 itself. Yeah. If that was the case, um, then I'd definitely, definitely yeah. be out. But plus, then you know, if you're paying for data for it too mm-hmm. for the 5G stuff, like you know, yeah, yeah, uh, I'm not sure that I'd be in on that for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on to question of the week. So last week I asked you guys, uh, was the is there a specific genre that just doesn't click with you so we got three responses uh the first is from coleman dean on facebook he says not really a genre but i've never been able to get into any video games with a top-down gameplay style um matt johnson on facebook says turn-based role-playing games i know i have missed out on some amazing games over the years but i just don't get it (laughs) and that that sparked a little reaction from you (laughs) i saw that broke my heart matt yeah (laughs) so funny because you were like you messaged me you're like because uh, there's there's some sort of weird thing with so me and Adam both obviously have admin to the Facebook page and I I don't know how to figure it out like sometimes I comment and it will comment as like my personal profile and then sometimes I comment and it comments as like the games are fun page and I never know how to do that so uh, Adam like commented as the games are fun and then <laughs> had to clear yeah i had to i had to put like, in a separate comment that, said that, was, <laughs> that was from that, adam yeah. Just, uh, you know. yeah but yeah no it's just i don't know when i see stuff like that i feel personally attacked because <laughs> you know I, I used to run uh level grind entertainment yeah. website which yeah. um level grind obviously comes from rpg you know background and exactly you know yeah. that's my kind of preferred yeah. genre so <laughs> I, I never turn base. Like, it's funny. I, I say I never really cared for them too much growing up, but I mean, Pokemon is a turn based RPG technically and maybe a different kind of, you know, it's not identical to say final fantasy or something like that, but still turn based. And I love that. So I, I get, there's different iterations, I think within that turn based genre. Yeah. I, I mean, I basically grew up playing like final fantasy games, Chrono Trigger, yeah. Super Mario RPG, like, very classic turn-based RPGs and that was just like that was my genre growing up and that mm-hmm. was like what I mostly associate with video games yeah. is is that genre so yeah, when I read sure. that I'm like no <laughs> <laughs> and then uh your brother Stephen Beagle at okay so he he made a tweet about <laughs> this I gotta make sure I, it's lordly king s dot I believe is how it's pronounced on Twitter uh-huh. yep Although, in fairness, Stephen, it does say lordly, if you're splitting it up on w- words, you when you look <laughs> at it, because it's all, no spaces, I would say lordly, and then I see kings, and then I see dot. Just saying. I, if you want that S, I would, maybe you should capitalize that S, and I would have got it, just saying, but. <laughs> I, I struggled internally each week on whether or not I should correct you yeah. on the show, but I'm like, I don't want to do that during the show. I'll wait till afterwards, yeah, and then yeah. I just totally forgot, so. <laughs> I will will say, Stephen, that your your tweet, it seemed a little targeted at, at me, just saying. <laughs> um, so Stephen says, fighting games, I've done the obligatory Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter playing in my day, but they have never stuck with me. I won't lie, I just lack the skill to be a relevant game fighter. Yeah, I, again, same same boat. Uh, I never really got down with fighting games. 
I like them in theory, but mm-hmm. when I play them, I'm just, I'm just, I, I, I just don't have the patience to learn combos and that kind of stuff. So yep. that's that genre. And then, sorry, I kind of glossed over you, Coleman, but top-down gameplay style. I, I understand where you're coming from with that. Um, I haven't played too many top-down, like, I guess to some degree, like, Pokemon was kind of, well, no, I guess that's kind of a, it depends. Like, again, it's one of those things that kind of have variations. There's mm-hmm. straight top down, like something like Hotline Miami, which right. I really like because it's kind of almost like a puzzle game in that sense that you can kind of see everything and you, you route your attacks. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely, if you're a big fan of first person games, going from a top down perspective is like dr- drastically changing the way you play a video game. So uh, Adam, what's your genre that doesn't click with you? So I, my first thought was kind of the fighting games thing too. Um, but I would say even more than that is probably sports games. Like yeah. I, I like watching sports, but I just don't like playing, playing them. Games. I don't like playing sports-based games. Sure. Unless it's like very arcadey versions of those, like Wii Sports, you know, that's a yeah. lot of fun. Or, um, you know, there, there's been various like... Um, not like it, it most sports games now are more like almost like simulator games mm-hmm. but like you have like your your arcade games like nfl blitz back in the day like that was awesome or nfl street another great like uh you know football game so there were ones that i enjoyed but like now it's pretty much all just like you're simulating nhl or nfl or mlb and you know it's that's just not fun for me yeah so. yeah Somewhere out there, if Brian, my friend Brian's listening, who literally just plays Pokemon <laughs> and NHL is probably like screaming. Kind of like how like, I yeah, was with exactly, the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say my least favorite is... Now, it's hard to say. I don't want to... Like, I would say turn-based RPGs I'm a big fan of, though... I don't like turn-based, like, strategy games. So, okay, games, uh, I'm trying to think of some, like... Like a, like Fire Emblem type? Fire Emblem would be, yeah, probably that, categorize that. Uh, there was that hit indie game last year, I think, called Into the War Breach. Wargroove uh, oh. is another one uh, that's a well-received game that, yeah. that... There's something about that genre that I don't really... I don't know. They're like I, I'm totally fine with turn-based RPG. You know, taking turns attacking. That's fine. It's the idea of like taking turns of plan- planning your attack or you know moving. You know, some of those RTS games have that turn-based mechanic mm-hmm. to it. So I like I like them on their own, if that makes sense. But when you combine you know strategy games with that turn-based together, I, yeah, it just doesn't do it for me. Like I've tried, but. I just yeah I I don't I lose yeah. interest fast. I, I'm with you. I'm kind of the same way. The the really the only exception to the rule for that for me is Fire Emblem. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean on on all the other ones like Wargroove and and you know stuff like that Into the Breach like like you had mentioned I gave that game a try and I just I don't see what all the fuss is about because yeah. it like everyone seems to love it. I just didn't really care yeah, for it. Yeah, I think that. You know, if it Fire Emblem out of all the games that we've mentioned just now, like that's probably the one game that I think I would probably be able to to get into it just based on the IP and what I know of the game. And I think I think I could 
get around it just seeing how that system but as soon as they start adding a ton of systems in place where um it's you know you're you're leveling certain things you have to balance certain things um when there's just too much going on at once then it just gets a little overwhelming because you're dealing with all that and then it's also a really slow gameplay pace and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it just it brings me out of the game where i want something that really you know uh, I can just kind of be consumed by in some sort of way, even if it is a slower game, right? Um, yeah, so thank you guys so much for responding to this week's question. Of course, well, let's issue this week's question. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the whole pledging allegiance to a specific console? So I guess, what do you think of console fanboys is the way of putting it? But uh, what I wanted to know from you guys is like, what do you think of the whole console war things in terms of, you know, somebody, I only play PlayStation games or I only play Xbox or judging another console because it's, you know, the the competitor to your favorite console. I just want to know, I just want a little general discussion around that. I try to aim for more than just one word answer questions on this. So, um, yeah, you can respond by sending in your answers to the email address gamesarefunpodcast at gmail.com easier way of doing it is heading over to our social media and that's uh look for games are fun on facebook there's a link for that in the show notes just respond to the the post for question of the week and then over on twitter at games are fun pod we tweet out the question of the week it's usually a day or two after the show goes up and uh yeah you can respond there all your answers that you guys submit will be read on next week's episode um and then we'll issue another question so again thank you guys uh coleman matt and steven for responding to this week's question all right that concludes this episode of games are fun adam where can people keep up with you uh, you catch me on twitter at adam palooza 85 i've been a little bit more active on there recently so uh feel free to hit me up and you can follow me on twitter at luke allen arm of course i've mentioned uh twitter and facebook for so uh, the podcast, but also head over to Instagram at Games Are Fun Pod if you want to take a look at my physical video game collection. I haven't. I was posting almost once a week back in the day, but I'm starting to. I still have lots of games I haven't posted on there, but I am getting down to like the last quarter of my physical collection. So it's like at some point I'm not going to be able to post games when I post <laughs> pictures of them before, right? So um, I did post a picture of my steelbook of death stranding on there uh look it's an awesome looking steelbook i really like mm, the cover i of love it. steelbooks yeah it's awesome uh so yeah you can head over there if you're on instagram uh next week's episode we're going to be hopefully talking well we are i hope that i will have a chance to have i'm going to pick up star wars i've um i was debating whether getting it on launch day but now that you know we you're going to be picking it up your brother, Garrett, having a, an episode uh, next week where uh, there's going to be a big discussion around it. I'm definitely going to pick it up now. The, the thing I was weighing is like, do I get, I, I, I can only get one. So do I get that or do I get Pokemon? But mm. I mean, <laughs> the Star Wars hype is, is real right now with The Mandalorian. Yes. I'm, uh, me and Megan are rewatching all the Star Wars movies because like Disney Plus, they has, has I, I own them on Blu-ray, but now they're, surprisingly, they're all... Uh, I guess besides The Last Jedi and 
Solo, which doesn't really matter too much. Mm. Um, all of them are on Disney Plus 4K, which is a huge surprise. I didn't realize they were going to be in 4K. So yeah. we watched uh, New Hope already, and it looks awesome. Like, it's just crazy <laughs> to think that movie came out and just... Obviously, it's been remastered since then, but it just looked incredible on my 4K TV. So, um, now beware Mandalorian; it will make you want, make you hungry for more Star Wars. Oh so. yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, that's what I mean. Like I'm gonna be watching that, and then I've, like I said, I got my tickets locked in for uh, Episode Nine next month. So it's like I gotta get Star Wars. I gotta get in on that conversation <laughs> while it's hot and and experience it. But I will get Pokemon. I'm not. Like I'm, I'm a big Pokemon fan. Mm-hmm. Can't can't give it up. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So, you're are you getting both? Or are you just getting one? Or I'm 100% getting getting Star Wars. Yeah. Um, kind of depends on if other people I know are getting Pokemon that mm-hmm. that I would pick that up as well. So, um, just because you know I want to make sure I have people to trade with and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I know like. I'll have, uh, like, Brian, like I mentioned on the show, he'll, he'll more than likely be picking up Pokemon. Um, your brother s- says that he's getting both. Um, mm-hmm. So then if, if you get it, then, yeah, I'll definitely be p- picking it up as well. So Yeah, and from what he was saying, uh, Stephen, sounds like that he will be getting Pokemon over Star Wars if he has to choose one. Mm, so Interesting. So I know he wants to talk about it for the show, and yeah, he's yeah. really hyped for it. Cool. So. That's awesome. So, yeah, you have... Uh, a, like this is a, a like hype vember as as yep. uh, Adam said, uh, <laughs> it's real. It's, it's real. Here. It, it's here, um, and that's not even to mention like I still want to get back to finish the Outer Worlds. Um, so it, we got a lot of good game playing the next couple months. So it's exciting times. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Games Are Fun. If you could just take a couple seconds to leave a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, those reviews uh, go a long way for us. And then if you're listening on something else like Spotify or Google Podcasts, make sure you subscribe to the show so you can make sure that you uh, catch all the new episodes as they come up. Um, Yeah, and we will talk to you guys next Tuesday. See you later.